How are you? Looks like Brian's moving a little slow. Taking your time. Okay, starting a new one. We're in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We kind of have our foot in both. This is about prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament. Look at what's in the New Testament. So we're kind of putting the two together so we can bridge between the two. So, it's a bar in here. Everybody's seen a horizontal histogram. And these down here are the amount, the number of prophecies that you have in the Old Testament. And the first category I have, and that's what I'm going to talk about this morning, is the deliverer coming. Okay, you can see there's a little, about, little bit over 30 of those references in the Old Testament that talks about a deliverer coming. Uh, the attributes of Christ. Talk about he's, he's merciful, he's compassionate. All the different things. So it talks about it in the Old Testament, referencing Christ. His purpose, why he came. As he's the Savior and Redeemer, who, who he is. And I, I split that out a little bit different from the purpose, because the purpose is a little bit broader than that. His birth, we have a few. His timing, you have, uh, yeah, I've split that out, the timing because it talks about it when the time was, why it was the time that they picked. Life as a child, there's one. Messiah's forerunner, that talks about John the Baptist, that he's coming. His baptism, Christ's baptism. Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit and Christ are working together. His identity, he's the Son of God. But he's also the priest, the high priest, the king, and the sacrifice. His ministry. There's not a lot on his ministry, but there's some. His authority. How did he have his authority? Church foundation. This is kind of the cornerstone. A lot of things in about the cornerstone, the foundation, and everything like that. What is the, the basis of the church? Prophecy. There's some prophecy about Christ making prophecy, which is kind of interesting. The Passion Week. This is kind of grouping all together is the Passion Week at the beginning. Ooh, everything's great, everything's fine. He got to the end of the Passion Week and they were killing him. And then prior to his crucifixion, I called it the pre-gospel. Uh, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. So the pre-gospel was the trials, the scourging. The, the, the mocking and all those things there, that, that all grouped together just before he went in and was crucified. And of course, the death, burial, and resurrection. And then the kingdom. You can kind of see his purpose, that he's coming. There's a lot. It's 25 of him coming. And they weren't looking for the right person. As far as his purpose and what he was going to come do, those kind of go together, because when they were looking at Christ's coming, what were they looking for? What were they looking for in the Messiah? A king like David that would throw the Romans out and establish him as a new kingdom. And that's not what it said. The other big bar is his identity, that he was the son of God. And the last one up here, look at how much is right around his death, burial, and resurrection. 
The things leading up to his crucifixion, his crucifixion and his resurrection. Tremendous amount of prophecy, really, in that particular area. And then a lot of prophecy about the kingdom. So those may, may split those up into, into some weeks, because when you're talking about 40 scriptures, that's a lot of scriptures to try and get through in one class. So today we've got 25. The breakdown, well, there's 271 Old Testament prophecies. I started with 350. And I'm going to get back to that in a minute. But there's 271 that I went through and I said, I feel comfortable with talking about because I believe that they are certainly scriptures that talk about Christ in the Old Testament and you can see it in the New Testament. Also in how it's spread out. And you can look at Psalms and Isaiah. And we went through Zechariah in here less than uh, two, three months ago. About 200 out of the 270 are in those three books. I, was kind of, I wasn't surprised with Psalms, and I certainly wasn't surprised with Isaiah, but I was a little bit surprised with Zechariah. But you can see it's spread out throughout a lot of the books in the Old Testament is the prophecy. And sometimes you read it and you go, oh yeah, I see that. And sometimes you read it and you need to have a little bit of, little bit of help to see where the, where the link is between the two. Now, I included it in here. One of those 80, because I said I started with 350 and 271, that I took out. And this, this is one of the ones that, that was in the list that says, this is a scripture in Old Testament, it's a prophecy of Christ. So I read it and I go, I don't see it. But the reason I include it here is because I want everybody to say, if you see books, if you see things online, just investigate a little bit further and dig down to... The, dig down to the detail to say, does it really make sense or does it not make sense? Because this one here, and I underlined it. Your guilt is taken away and atonement is made for your sin. When I read that, I went, I ain't Christ. Because he didn't have any sin. But again, this was in the list of the 350. And, and Doug and I worked on this one um, to try and screen out those that we say, that doesn't look like it's really prophecy about Christ because it doesn't fit him. And that's why this one, the volunteering here is Isaiah. It's not Christ. It also gives you a little bit of, a, of, of an indication here. It says, whom shall we send and who will go for us? Who's the us? The father and the son. I mean, the son is in it. But he's the one who's, who's, who should we send? They're going to send Isaiah, which is where 114 of the references are. So you can kind of see there's a lot of references in Isaiah. This isn't one. So let's get into some of those that there are. In Genesis, first one. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than the livestock, and more than any animal of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring, and of her descendant. Not descendants, descendant. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. New Testament, Hebrews. And, and here he's talking about um, the children, the children who are the children of God. Um, so, that through the death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So you can kind of see the satisfaction of where he talks about it in the New Testament to say, this was of Christ. Christ was going to uh, 
crushed the head of the devil when he resurrected, when he lived a perfect life, he was a perfect sacrifice, and Satan was going to bruise his heel because Christ was going to have to be crucified. He's going to be scourged, he's going to be mocked, he's going to be crucified, he's going to be rejected. So there was the bruising. So you can kind of see the two together. So that's kind of how this is going to go through the class. As I think of questions and things like that, I'm going to ask them. But mostly I'm, what I'm going to do is show you the comparison. Same, same verses, but also in 1 John. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The beginning we just talked about, we're talking about here in Genesis. If it's the same verses out of the Old Testament, I have it in kind of a light gold. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. So again, you have another reinforcement where it talks about why, part of why Christ came was to destroy the works of the devil, to, to, to destroy him, to put him to death, and like that. And you can kind of see that, the tie-in to the Genesis verse. Uh, next one in Genesis. This is a different one. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And, and all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is the one that we're probably the most familiar with, which was one of the three promises that was given to Abraham. Uh, Abraham was given three promises. He said, through your seed, all mankind will be blessed, which, which is what's here. The other one was, uh, look at that land of Canaan. All, the, all that land will be yours. And the third one was, you'll have as many children as there are stars in the sky, as there are sands by the sea. So you had those three prophecies. But this is the one that's prophetic about Christ. It also is in... <clears throat> Genesis 22, and in your seed all the nations of earth shall be blessed. This is directly to Abraham. Again, in Psalms, it's written about all, and in all you, the families of the earth will be blessed, blessed with the psalmist. I believe this is David that was talking about it. He talks about all, all those in the earth will be blessed. So you've got the same one three times that's, that's talked about, that's talked about from a standpoint, I believe, of Abraham. And it's talked about from Jacob and Isaac, too. But you can see in Galatians, where Paul is writing, Paul makes a direct reference to that particular scripture, where he's talking to the people of Galatia, and he's saying, okay, you, you need to understand Christ came for you, and it was part of the promise to Abraham, but the old law has been put aside. And that's mostly what Galatians is, is about, is saying, stay true to Christ, don't try to incorporate the old law. The old law has been put aside. You're under the new law. And he, said, and he references it back. He says, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of the faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. So here he had the, the gospel that he's preached. And he's referencing this Old Testament uh, that, says, that says, the blessing that they're referring to is the Christ. Again, the same verses in Acts. This is where Peter is talking on the day of Pentecost, where again, he references the same one, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Again, he's reinforcing that when he's giving his speech when he stood up with the other apostles and talked on the day of Pentecost. Again, another one in Genesis. This is the one with, that went directly to Isaac. So it's been given to Abraham, here it's given to Isaac, and here it's given to Jacob. So it's given to all the sons, over and over and over again. And you have a whole bunch of references to this, which is kind of interesting because, you know, when we study what's going on in the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, pick any of the four, 
what's the response that the leadership has to Christ? What's, what's their response? Not all the Jews, but what's the response of the leadership, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes? They reject him. They weren't looking at this. The other part is, this particular word, little three-wedded word, all. Not just the Jews, all. Everybody. And they weren't looking for that little word in there either. But it's over and over and over again in the Old Testament. God said, no, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, you will bear him name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So this is part of the promise, but also the covenant with, with the descendants of Abraham, which will eventually lead to Christ. Talks about it in Romans. Where the children, their children, not because they are Abraham's descendants, but because of the word, but through Isaac your descendants shall be named. And then towards the end of eight, children of the promise are regarded as descendants. So here, here he's talking to the people in Rome, where he's addressing the Romans, and he's comparing the two between the, the, New, Test, the New Testament approach, which is under Christ, and the Old Testament is the descendants of Abraham are the descendants of faith, the descendants not just the descendants of flesh. And the reason that's important for the Romans is why? Why is that important for the Romans to understand? They're Gentiles. They're not Jews. The Jews are saying, ah, oh, we're descendants of Abraham because of the flesh. And he's saying, no, you're descendants of Abraham as Gentiles because of your faith. Because of his faith, he's a child of God. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. This one seems like it's a little bit of a stretch, but in John, you gave him authority over all mankind. So you can kind of see there, the scepter didn't depart from those who were in control in Judah, until he came, so that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. So that's what Christ brought. Shiloh is Christ. And what he bring, he has that authority, and because of that authority, the people have obedience to him. Does that make sense? Do you see the connection between the two of them? This is one of the looser connections, but it's a connection. It isn't talking about anybody else. When it talks about Shiloh, it's talking about Christ. When, you're, when your days are finished, and I put this parenthetically in there because this is, this is talking to, Chris, uh, to David, are finished and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you. So that's singular. Who will come from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. What is his house? The church, okay. 
And when he was in Jerusalem, and he was looking at the temple, and they said, isn't the temple great? And he said, if you destroy this temple, I'll raise it up again in three days. What temple was he talking about? Huh? His body. Yeah. So in Chronicles, we again have this same kind of a reference. I will set up one of your descendants after you. This is talking to David, or talking about David, who will be, who will be from your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build for me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. So it's the same words in two different, two different parts. It's in Samuel, who's a prophet, and it's in Chronicles, which is, what is Chronicles? What, is, what, are, what kind of books are those? First and second Chronicles, first and second Kings. History, yeah, okay. But it's, the prophecy is there. In Matthew, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why would Matthew write this? Who was Matthew writing to? The Jews, okay? So for them to say he's the son of David, in the, in the first part of the introduction, this is 1-1 in Matthew, makes sense because Matthew was writing to the Jews. Also the same verses, and this is in Luke. When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years old, being, as was commonly held, and then it goes through, starts going through all of them. And here, you also have, whoops, the son of David. So you have David in both lines. This is Luke, so this is in Mary's line. Matthew is in Joseph's line. Although Joseph had no blood relation to Christ, but Mary was his mom. Why would Luke, again, we've gone through this several times, why would Luke write to Mary, and why would Matthew write to to Joseph. Yeah, he was, Luke was a physician, and he was a Gentile, and he was writing to the Gentiles, and to him, he looked at it, and he said, the bloodline is Mary. It is not Joseph. But Matthew was writing to the Jews, and to the Jews, the man meant everything. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. His days in Judah's will be saved, and Israel will be lived securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Well, that, you can kind of see, yeah, that, that's got to point to Christ. In Jeremiah, it's, later on, he talks about it again. A make a righteous branch of the David sprout. What's the David sprout? What does that mean? Yeah, it's a descendant. He'll be a descendant of David. And here we have the same thing in Luke where it talks about it, but it's talking about, about it from other verses. I, I'm grouping verses that are similar together that go to a certain scripture for expedi uh, being expeditious and going through these. <clears throat> the shoot, which is in your right hand, has planted in the sun, whom you have strengthened for yourself. It is burned with fire, it is cut down. They perish from the rebuke from your face. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man, 
whom you made strong for yourself. Now this is talking about God. The psalmist here is talking about God and what he made the man to his right hand. He made him strong for himself. In Mark, this is during the trials, but he kept silent. He didn't offer any answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and said to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed Ones? And Jesus said, I am, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, what do you think the response was of the Pharisee who was questioning him at the trial when he said this? Huh? Kind of shocked? He started tearing his clothes. He said, look, he blasphemies. He's obviously guilty of what we've charged him with. And, and he just, he went ballistic because he said it. He didn't, he didn't look at the scriptures. He wasn't looking for the Christ. Again, it's the same uh, verse in Psalms. And I, I saw several spots where it picked, it didn't pick in what I had was the correlation document. I said, well, gee, I think this is too here. So I looked at an Acts. And this is again in uh, where Peter's talking. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior, a grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So again, you can kind of see it where they're saying he's at the right hand of God. But the one that struck me the most that was missing was this one from Stephen. And this one has always kind of impressed me. Peter gave the speech on the day, day of Pentecost, and he went through the history and at the end, he said, and you crucified him, you killed him. And the response on the day of Pentecost was thousands of people got baptized. So what should we do, right? Stephen gave almost the same speech. But the response was totally different. They stoned Stephen as opposed to Peter, who they said will respond to him. So it was kind of interesting the way the people, who you were talking to and how it was, how it was received. So when they heard that this, they were infuriated. They began gnashing their teeth at him. So this is when he finished it up and he said, And you killed the Son of God. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So you can kind of see where Stephen says, I see what was prophesied back in Psalms. I see Christ at the right hand of God. And of course, at this particular point, the rocks were flying. And there was a young man standing there by the coats. Who was that? Saul. Saul of Tarsus. He was standing there approving of them, killing Stephen for talking about Christ. Boy, how things were going to change on the road to Damascus, weren't they? Once I have sworn my holiness, I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever. In his throne, as the sun before me, it shall be established forever, like the moon, and witness in the sky, and a witness in the sky is faithful. So the, the witness in the sky is the moon here. So, who, so what here keys you that this, this is prophecy about Christ in this verse?
His throne as the sun before me, it shall be established forever. There's only one throne that's established forever. That's Christ. So that kind of, you look at it and you go, yeah, I can see that. I can see that as being prophecy about the kingdom, right? But it's what's coming. Again in Psalms, the Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. I will set upon your throne one from the fruit of your body. So again, another promise out of Psalms where the Christ is going to come from. In Luke, he will be great. And we will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, the forever, and his kingdom will have no end. If it doesn't have any end, it means it's forever. So you can kind of see the tie there between those verses in the Old Testament and what Luke's talking about in the New Testament. This is in the first chapter of Luke. In Psalm, another one. In time of old, you founded the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you will endure. All of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will pass away. What about this verse looks like it's prophetic about Christ? Slow down a little bit. I'm getting a lot of furrowed brows. A little help. In Hebrews. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, and like a robe you will roll them up. Like a garment they will also be changed, but you are the same. Your years will not come to an end. This is almost a paraphrasing of what's in Psalm. We don't know who the Hebrew writer is. There's a lot of discussion on who it could be, but we don't know. He never introduces who he is that wrote the book of Hebrews. But this is all in capitals, which means that they think a lot of this is specifically where the Hebrew writer took it directly out and put it in here. But in Colossians, and I like this one here because it, it makes you think. For, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Who's the him? Christ. What's it talking about? The beginning, the creation, right? Who's the one speaking in creation? Let there be light. Who's speaking? Christ. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. He was the one speaking into existence, which, which is what Paul is talking about when he wrote this letter to the people of Colossae. So you can kind of see in the first verse, in 25, in time of old, you founded the earth. When, he's, when he's, the psalmist is writing this, he's writing this to God, but specifically to Christ. It says, 
You're the one who spoke things into existence. Revelation. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. What's the Alpha and the Omega? And don't tell me the first and last letter in the book of Greek alphabet, because I knew that. What does he mean? Huh? He started, and he's going to end it. When everything is burned up, and existence is the only thing that remains, time won't remain. Time's part of the creation, right? If you look at it, how do we measure a year? How long it takes for the sun, for, the, for our planet to go around the sun? That's a year. How, how do we measure a day? How long it takes for our planet to make one rotation? We measure everything by based on what God put in to the creation, don't we? That's time. Does time exist in God's realm? Nope, it doesn't exist. When everything is destroyed as far as the creation, will time exist? No, it'll just be existence. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his compensation was with him and his reward before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm he will gather lambs and carry them in the fold of his robe. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Revelation. Behold, I am coming quickly. This is 22. It's almost the end of Revelation. And my reward is with me. This is Christ talking at this particular point. To reward each one as his work deserves. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. So you see the tie-in between Isaiah talking about Christ and in Revelation where Christ is saying, I have my reward, and I have my reward for you. How does he take care of us? How is Christ referred to as? A shepherd, isn't it? A redeemer will come to Zion, and to those in Jacob who turn from wrongdoing, declares the Lord. So it's a redeemer. He's going to be coming. Where's the Redeemer going to be coming to? It's right there. Zion. What's another? What, where is Zion? What's another word for Zion? Geographic location? Just, huh? It's, yeah, it's, it's a mountain in Jerusalem. Mount Zion is referred is the Temple Mount. It's a lot of times referred to that as the Temple Mount. So it could be Jerusalem. Here in Luke, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter. And this is when they have just brought Christ into the temple at, is it seven days, Doug, Steve? Or is it eight days? Eight days. And you're supposed to present him to the priests. And he's been there, and there was... There was uh, Several people there that recognized him as the Christ. Anna, the daughter of Phanel, the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years and lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage. And then, as a widow, to the age of 84, she did not leave the temple grounds, serving night and day with fasts and prayers. And at that moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak about him to all those who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. 
So the tying here is he's sending a redeemer to Zion, Zion being Jerusalem. She says, that's the redeemer. That's the redeemer to Jerusalem. So you see the tie-in between the two. Then I will appoint over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I have, uh, the Lord, I have spoken. Now, is this talking about David or is it talking about Christ? And why? Who wrote this book? God wrote the book through Ezekiel. When did Ezekiel write the book? And what's that relationship to David? David lived about 1000 BC. Ezekiel wrote this book about 600 BC. 400 years, David's been dead. Is this about David or is this about Christ? When he's talking about the shepherd. Can't be David. He's been dead. He's bones. It's got to be Christ. John 10. I am the good shepherd. So he's talking about the contrast between the good and the bad shepherd. The good shepherd lays it down his life for the sheep. There's a, there's a prophecy of what he's going to go do. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatches the flock. He flees because he is hired hand and he does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So who's he contrasting here? Again, he's the shepherd and he's the good shepherd. Who's the bad shepherd? Clayton, I can't hear you. Well, yeah, it, in this particular one, the bad shepherd is, the hired shepherd is the Jewish leadership at this particular time. I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to die for you. But the people that are part of the Sanhedrin, they're not going to die for you. They expect you to die for them. So he's contrasting the two. On that day, declares the Lord of armies, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shalil, my servant, declares the Lord. And I will make you a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of armies. So this is one we studied in Haggai, I don't know, what, three, four months ago? This is one of the few that's in Haggai. But Zerubbabel, who is Zerubbabel? Hmm? One of the kings? Now, he wasn't a king. He was a kind of a governor for Jerusalem. Remember when we studied Ezra? The book of Ezra? Who was the one who led them down into Jerusalem from Babylon to rebuild the temple? Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the one who led them to rebuild the temple. And eventually it got rebuilt. It took a long time to get rebuilt, but it got rebuilt. And the one who led the whole effort was Zerubbabel. So God has promised him something. And if you look in Luke, 
when he began his ministry, and it goes through and it talks about it, the son of Zerubbabel. So Zerubbabel is in the line of Mary for Christ. That was part of what he got, or a lot of what he got for, what, for that one. In Matthew, it's also recounted about Zerubbabel. So he's in both, both Mary and Joseph's bloodline, going back through the lineage leading up to the Christ. And that is the last one I have. I finished early. What does this tell you, though? What does this tell you about the leadership? Studying and telling the people what they needed to hear about the coming of Jesus. Yeah. I, just, I went through, I, I grouped them together, but there was 25 Old Testament references about the deliverer coming. 25 of them. The Sanhedrin should have been the people that were what? The most learned about the scripture, shouldn't they? Certainly the scribes. I mean, the scribes, what were they doing? Well, they were writing the scriptures over and over again, but they studied the scriptures. They knew them. They taught in the synagogues. They taught from the books of the Bible in the synagogues. And they should have known it. And there was 25 references here, just alone in this particular part, to how he's coming. That he's going to be a shepherd. What was, David's, what was David's profession? He was a shepherd. What was Christ's profession before he started his ministry? Wasn't a shepherd. He was a carpenter. Go ahead. Part of the, this shows us that all these people that are responsible for teaching and everything else, they let the world Im impact them enough to look for Jesus to be a physical king. And they continue to interpret the scriptures that way. And that was the big thing. They were not looking for a son of a carpenter. They were looking for something else. And when that didn't pan out, it didn't fit what they'd been teaching the people. And they couldn't change. The same thing can happen to us today. We can interpret scriptures so much from our point of view. And what we want and what we think over time. That we miss the point. Yeah, you, you missed the context. And that was part of the reason I allowed this. I try and include verses before and after what it is, is because you need to understand the context. When we talked about David, they were looking for, okay, we're looking for the super king. What was David best known for? King David. Huh? He what? Killing Goliath and Bathsheba. That's the two things. Well, yeah, yeah, the killing, killing Uriah. Um, but but what, what, what did the people remember David for the most? What kind of king was he? He's a good king. He's a good king. War, war, war king. He was a warrior. David was a warrior. Why couldn't David build the temple? He had too much blood on his hands because he was such a warrior. It wasn't until Solomon. David went and... and um, stockpiled all the materials they were going to need to build the temple, but he wasn't allowed to build the temple because his hands were so bloody because he was such an aggressive warrior. He conquered. He conquered the people that were threatening God, and he was very, very, very effective at that. So when they read, this, read the prophecy about David, he said, oh, he's going to be like David. He's going to be a warrior king. Well, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that anywhere. It's going to be like David, and the fact he's going to be a king and that he's going to be in the lineage of David, 
But he's going to have a kingdom that's established forever. He's going to be like a shepherd over the people. He's going to give his life up at, like a shepherd does for the people. And then they said, oh, we're not looking for that. Because they didn't look at the context. They said, oh, this is how we associate this person. So they, they, they said, well, this is what it must mean. And that's not what it meant at all. So you can kind of see, that's part of what we're going we're gonna to touch on as we go through this, is to say, you got to look at what the scriptures say and look at it in their context to understand what, what the point is, what they're driving towards. And that's part of why we're pulling this out here is to say, here's the tie between the Old Testament and New Testament. I haven't been in a study like this before in where I looked at it, but to me it strengthens my faith to say, Hundreds and hundreds of years before, there was the prophecy, and you can see it in the New Testament where that prophecy is, is fulfilled. Brent. One other thing about David also, a man after God's own heart. That's true. That's, That's true. true. He, he was, was... You could look at David's life and say, here is a man after God's own heart, and he made as many mistakes as he did. And it says, God can love you even when you make all those mistakes. Because, you know, like Susan said, the, the big one we think of is what David did with Bathsheba. But he made other mistakes. He lied when he got to the, to the, uh, uh, to the priest when he was running away from Saul. Twice he lied. Um, he made, he did, made other mistakes in his particular life, but the big one was Bathsheba. I mean, he made two things. It was, he, he had a relationship with somebody that was married to somebody else, and when he couldn't fix it one way, he had the guy killed. <laughs> okay, so, and, and it's a man after God's own heart, so you can kind of see how God looks at things because he looks at the heart. He doesn't look at what they do. Because the heart is what matters to God. Any other questions, comments? We've got people starting to stack up outside. Doug's going to pick up next week the next area, probably a couple of the areas, but uh, we'll get into the, into the character and, and uh, attributes and things like that. That's where we're kind of, we're kind of, what we're doing is rolling in to say, let's talk about the overall general things and then we'll start talking about the specifics. And we're going to go through the timeline based on Christ's life, beginning from his birth to his establishment as the kingdom. So we're going to get through some of this stuff at the beginning, and then we're going to go through the timeline of Christ's life. Hope you like it.